Hello there and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today I'd like to talk about Jordan Peterson. And um, this is somebody that uh, is really rising like a rocket in, <clears throat> in popularity and people are more and more people are getting to know him. And uh, I just discovered him um, a few, well, basically in the last couple of days. I kind of had heard about this guy um, and I'm kind of getting more and more interested in him. And uh, I still am not like um, an expert on him or whatever. Um, but um, I thought it'd be fun to do some sort of uh, initial first impressions, I guess. Although, as I look at my notes, I've got two pages of notes here. It's not, I mean, I listened to a full debate with him and two YouTube videos, as well as had some, heard some other people kind of professionally critiquing him. So it's not like totally a first impression, although uh, I think I, w- I will uh, eventually do kind of, I'll follow up to this once I read his book and uh, maybe watch some more of his videos and things like that. So I first heard about Jordan Peterson. I was at a conference, and uh, there was a really kind of egg-heady guy that uh, was the conference speaker. Uh, a lot of it was kind of over my head, but um, I tried to take notes because I felt like he was saying really important things, even if I didn't understand it. And somewhere in my notes I wrote, who is Jordan Peterson? Because he kept referring to Jordan Peterson. Um, and I had that circled in, in question marks, and who is Jordan Peterson? Um, and I kind of just left that, <clears throat> and then um, a few uh, months later, um, somebody shared a YouTube thing that I watched, um, and it's his famous "just just bloody say something" interview, uh, where he just really encouraged people to, um, you know, speak your mind. Uh, don't let political correctness uh, cow you into silence. Um, who you are is is a person that has something to contribute. So stand up and speak. Uh, and I thought this is this is good stuff, you know. And uh, so much of our society is telling us not to speak, uh, and especially as men, you know, we just need to be quiet and we need to settle down. Um, and this was really encouraging. Like, yeah, like we do need to speak. We do need to get our voice out there. And if we have something that we believe is true, uh, the best thing we can do is to speak truth. Um, and we, we might be in error, but as we speak the truth, you know, and, and are open to critique, you know, we're sincerely seeking truth. Um, other people will speak truth to us and then we can figure out what is, what is true or what is more true. Uh, and we can make progress that way. Whereas not saying anything, he said, you just kind of disappear into silence and, uh, become this sullen, uh, silent sort of a nothing. And, uh, you know, that doesn't seem very attractive. Um, so I, I Wikipedia'd him. And uh, so he's famous for, he's a clinical psychologist and teaches psychology at the University of Toronto, not too far from where I am in Canada. And uh, he's famous because the University of Toronto was enforcing this kind of militant um, LGBTQ gay agenda thing where you had to use um, the certain pronouns. And I forget what they are now, but it's like instead of him or her, you're supposed to say tis or something like that. Um, And uh, you can tell I'm not super up on this stuff. But, uh, you know, there's new pronouns they're trying to create for the new genders that they're creating. Instead of him, her, now there's, you know, the third and the fourth and the seventh and the tenth tenth, uh, gender, and they're all supposed to have their own pronouns. and he wasn't objecting so much, as far as I understand, to these new genders. Um, what he was objecting to was enforced uh, control of speech. And he said, look, we need to have freedom of speech. You can't tell me what to say, what to do. And so he put his foot down and said, I'm not going to conform to this. And of course, that caused a huge firestorm because you don't stand up to the gay agenda in today's day. I mean, it's... Um, who was it now? It's one of those late-night comedians that said that the gay agenda has a mafia, and if you stand up against them, they will come and get you uh, and take you out. Um, but he he's just gotten more and more popular through this. They haven't taken him out. Um, he and, and he continues to speak to these sorts of issues. Again, he doesn't. he's not against anything 
as far as I can tell, he's not against the gay agenda or whatever. He's just against the control. The he's for freedom of speech, uh, and you can't tell me what to, what I can say, what I can't say. Um, and then I uh, listened to a debate actually just on the drive up here. I'm out visiting a church right now. I'm actually on somebody's dock, which is very nice. Uh, but later on today, I'll be uh, visiting uh, some people from the church. Um, and I listened to a debate with between him, uh, William Lang Craig, and uh, somebody, somebody Goldstein. Uh, so if you look up, if you look up Jordan Peterson and William Lang Craig, you'll find the debate. Uh, it was a pretty good debate. Um, although I've listened to probably dozens of debates by now by William Lang Craig, and this one. It was so-so in in the grand scheme of debates, although it was more lively and more engaging than some of the other ones. I'll talk a bit more about the debate later on. And then this morning, I kind of rolled out of bed and uh, needed something. This is I just recorded on Facebook Sanity and how I don't do Facebook in the morning, but this particular morning, <laughs> uh, I thought I'd start it off with a little bit of Facebook, and somebody had a Jordan Peterson... Um, and look at... This is proving my previous previous uh facebook sanity post because this is my day now is controlled by the first thing i saw on facebook is now i just feel so driven to do this podcast uh anyways i just recorded a a a podcast on called facebook sanity which is what i was referring to if you didn't listen to that then this will seem strange to you uh but anyways in that youtube clip it was the one where he was uh in in britain um and talking about the wage gap, the gender wage gap. And he was saying very sensible things um, that, look, there is a wage gap, but the reason that the wage gap is there is not just due to gender, it's due to other things. And he mentioned especially likability, that there's a a certain character trait called likability. And 5% more women have the character trait of likability than women do. And so, you know, this contributes to that to some degree that uh, when somebody has this character trait of likability they tend to get paid less um, than somebody that um, you know just asserts themselves and gets out there and says look you need to pay me or else I'm leaving anyways and and the person he was interviewing you can listen to it it's a great interview Um, the person he was interviewing was just continually trying to rephrase what he said and trying to make it sound like he said something he didn't. And he kept saying, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. Um, and uh, really did an excellent job in a very hostile um, situation. I thought, man, I never want to be interviewed by this woman because she just absolutely, whatever he said, tried to twist it and tried to rephrase. Actually almost gaslighting, really. Like changing the reality of what he said. And he's like, no, that's not what I said. And he he had... He had perfect recall of what he had said. He said, that's it. That's not what I said. I said this and not that. Um, anyways, I really appreciated that interview. Um, and uh, um, I'm really thinking that this is somebody I need to get more into. Um, I'm not somebody that often reads very broadly. I, I read deeply. Um, and so, like, uh, for a while it was C.S. Lewis all the way, and I just just really dwelt on mere Christianity and that was kind of my book my go-to resource for for everything and then uh, I discovered Ruxy Cavey um, this is more when I was into audio stuff and I listened to all of the sermons that he had online um, at that point about 10 years worth of sermons I listened to all of them 8 to 10 I forget exactly um, and then I ran out of sermons so I found somebody else and moved over to Mark Driscoll and listened to a whole bunch of his online stuff I didn't didn't do the whole thing because his sermons are longer and he had more of them um, but really kind of sucked up everything he had to offer. And then I moved to William Lane Craig, and um, I'm still on him, and I really just take all that I can from William Lane Craig. Every podcast he does, I'm listening to it. Um, I listen to his new debates, and I listen to re-listen to a lot of his old debates because there's still more things to learn and uh, listen to from that. And I'm feeling like, like uh, Jordan Peterson is somebody that I should... I need to pay attention to. Uh, I'm going to uh, read his book, 12 Steps for Life, um, watch more of his YouTube videos, and I think this is, he's got some good things to contribute to my life personally. Um, I realize as, as he's talking about, you know, just stand up and, and speak truth, say, say what you think. I'm realizing that, um, you know, there's a few issues that I haven't spoken to, just basically 
Uh, I'm not sure if it's because I'm afraid or because I'm being wise or a little bit of both. Um, you know, the big issue is uh, homosexuality, and I've just been silent on that topic. Um, but I'm just expecting a really big pushback, and so I want to be really sure that I know what I'm going to say before I say anything. Um, but for a perfectionist like me, you know, to be sure that I, I have it perfect before I say anything, basically I just never say anything because I'm never going to be really ready. Um, and uh, I'm thinking, like, you know, it might just be time to just say this is what I think the Bible says, and I'm not claiming to be the world's leading expert, but this is, this is what I think on this issue. Um, and there's some other issues like that. So, anyways, um, doing good things in me. And uh, I was talking with somebody last night uh, as I was visiting a new church, um, and he was really going on about Jordan Peterson. So again, it's kind of—it seems like a lot of people from different different places are talking about this guy. Uh, and he was saying that there's a lot of Christians that are really, really drawn to him uh, and are taking like his course on the Old Testament. And uh, uh, and he, my friend, was saying, you know, he read his book and. But he, he feels a, a bit of reservation about people taking his course on the Old Testament. Uh, and I said, yeah, well, it would be very liberal, wouldn't it be? Uh, and I want to get to what I mean by that in a second. So, um, my initial critique here, uh, especially in his debates, I really appreciate his poise and his ability to keep a cool head. And uh, especially in that one debate um, on BBC, um, he really did, you know, keep his calm, keep his cool, and not let her um, change what he had said. And he didn't get flustered and, and fall apart. I definitely see that interviewer. Um, I bet she has people fall apart in her sets, and I bet you she lives for that. The times when people just kind of turn to jelly in her hands, and then she can just control the situation. And they have this incredibly damning interview of of her you know, kind of dominating over them. Um, I could see that being a, a very devastating thing, but he didn't He didn't let that happen, you know, and he was very clear in what he thought. I think that points to humility because um, he didn't get offended when, when she kept changing what he said. You know, he was laughing at it and he was um, good-natured about it, but he kept coming back to that's not what I said. And I think that that points that the fact that he didn't become furious and angry really speaks to his character that he was able to be humble uh, and gracious at the same time that he was very uh, clear that that's not what he said he has incredible clarity of mind and I appreciate that so much I appreciate people that are clear in what they say what they think I have spent too much time um, this is kind of in a previous life but with the likes of Brian McLaren and um, uh you know, Rob Bell, this is back in 2008. Um, but people that have a lot of emotion but don't have a lot of depth or substance and they're trying to say things that are inconsistent and so they, they hide behind stories and they hide behind poetry and they hide behind nonsense. And those sorts of people drive me nuts. I want, I want people that know what they think, know their mind um, and uh, are able to articulate their mind. And I, I appreciate that it looks like Jordan Peterson is somebody like that. I might not agree with everything he says, but I know what he's talking about. And so we can actually have a discussion about what he's talking about. And in this way, he's kind of living out what he encouraged uh, that I mentioned earlier, that, you know, speak your mind, bring your, your ideas and truth to the surface so that other people can speak and, and uh, discuss them. Um, in, his, in, in, in the debate between William Lane Craig, um, Goldstein, and um, Jordan Peterson... Um, I appreciated his his use of story, and some of it was personal stories, uh, but more often it was kind of made up stories. But it was it was he was able to bring a complex philosophical question into a story that everybody could relate to, um, and he had a good way of in that speaking with vulnerability, um, even though it wasn't like a revealing story. But he was able to draw you into the story. Um, and he was able to um, connect emotionally with the audience in a very powerful way, uh, but not in a sloppy, blustery, kind of teary, kind of over-the-top, out-of-control-of-his-emotions sort of a way. 
Uh, and I, I appreciate that. Again, thinking of, of um, you know, uh, Rob Bell had a way of kind of making his voice quiver and trying really hard to pull out the tears out of his audience. And that sort of thing just kind of drives me nuts. I mean, if you have something emotional to say, then say it. Um, and if you get choked up, you get choked up. But don't try and push it, you know. Um, and also, uh, I mean, I do appreciate Mark Driscoll, but sometimes he was almost out of control of his emotions uh, when he would speak. And, you know, it was because it was something very, very important. Um, but I think that Jordan Peterson, if he was saying something very, very, very important that really touched him deeply, um, I don't see him ever being out of control of his emotions and just yelling. Uh, I see him as, as sharpening. The more he would get, you know, upset or, or um, emotionally engaged, the more he would really sharpen and, and, and get, you know, maybe he would say kind of what the hell is going on or, or, or say bloody or something like that. Um, but I appreciate that he wasn't getting out of control of his emotions. And I appreciate that, um, as he said earlier, early in, in the debate on, um, on the BBC interview, and then as he demonstrated throughout, he said, I am very, 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 very precise and clear about what I say. And he was, and he was very, um, very clear in the precise way that what he said and how he said it. And I appreciated at one point in the BBC interview, um, you know, he made a statement, something like, I forget which statement it was, but something like, um, woman, the, the gender gap exists because of woman, f female traits, feminine traits, such as likability and uh, compassion and things like this. And she said, what, what gives you the right to say that? What, what do you mean that women are different? And he said, I'm a cl clinical psychologist. Kind of, well, duh, I'm a clinical psychologist. And she's like, well, what do you mean? So because you're a clinical psychologist, that gives you a right to make these statements. And he's like, well, I did the research and, and this is... Um, this is how it is, you know, and so much of the, of that particular debate was him um, being very aware and conscious of the actual research on gender and her kind of flustering and blustering and saying uh, that offends people and um, you don't have a right to say that. And I thought, you know, this might, maybe clinical psychology is, is the direction of hope for our culture because with this whole gender issue um, where it's it's quickly becoming um, a reductio ad absurdum where you know it used to be gays and lesbians wanted to create you know a third and a fourth gender but then there's what about the queer people and what about the trans people and and now like New York City apparently dignifies something like 30 different genders and it's kind of like if if Everybody that wakes up in the morning and decides they're a different gender gets to be a different gender. If, if gender means everything, then it doesn't mean anything. And if we don't have gender anymore, then something, something that is so fundamental to humanity, like perhaps the most fundamental part of humanity, is lost to us. And this, I think, is devastating um, to a society. I, I think that this is a, a real problem. Um, I'm concerned about people that, um, you know, and I do want to talk about this in future podcasts, but um, I'm concerned about people that are living the gay lifestyle because um, A, the Bible has something to say about that, and B, science has something to say about that. Uh, and so that is, you know, that is a concern. But what I'm far more concerned about is the fact that we as a society are coming close to abandoning gender. Uh, and so like if you like I'm sitting out on a dock at a pond and I'm looking at you know there, you can hear the frogs in the background and I just saw a little turtle sneaking up here um, you know one of the first things you're going to say what is this animal you know what's the species and the next thing you're going to be curious about is is this a female or a male of the species and if you don't know which one it is um, like if you're trying to take care of it or something like that um, whether it's a male or a female is going to make a pretty huge difference. I mean, if you don't know if it's a male or female duck um, or, or cockroach or bird or whatever, uh, they're going to have dramatically different um, 
physiology and uh, habits and instincts. Um, but we as a society are close to losing that ability to look at a person and say, okay, this is part of the human species. Is it a male or a female of that species? Um, and uh, as I was listening to Jordan Peterson, I thought, you know, maybe clinical psychology is, is part of the solution to this. Because, you know, he's looking at, he's not listening to, you know, political correctness and the politics and the bluster and the fluster and the anger. He's looking at the actual facts and the science, which is why he's able to say things like um, feminine traits. Because, I mean, you can take female ducks and you can study them for 10 years and you can come up with certain traits that female ducks possess. And these are different from the traits that certain male ducks possess. Uh, and you can say, well, there's exceptions. Of course there's exceptions. But in general, female ducks are going to behave this way. Male ducks are going to behave this way. We have chickens. You know, and everybody knows that you can only have so many male chickens, so many roosters, because they start fighting. Um, and we're already starting to see this with our young chickens, that they're fighting. And, and at this point, it's just kind of cute. They're just kind of fluffing up their feathers and, and uh, you know, trying to look taller than the other. But pretty soon they're going to start you know, trying to peck each other's eyes out and kill each other. And at that point, it's, it's actually cruel to have more than one rooster because um, they will kill each other and they'll die a long, slow death. And But hens don't do that. Female chickens don't do that. Um, and um, you can look at humanity and you can look at society. And we have been studying humans from, you know, an objective, critical perspective for hundreds of years uh, clinical psychologists have been doing this and anthropologists have been doing this and have been studying humanity. Uh, and we know that there's certain things like, well, I mean, like testosterone, which leads men to, um, to this, you know, trying to better and, and one-up one another, similar to roosters would do, but in a different way. Um, this is a male trait. And yes, sometimes women do this as well. Um, but you know, clinical psychologists are going to say there is such a thing as maleness, there is such a thing as femaleness in the human species. And these traits normally exist in, in a higher predominance among the male species, and these traits normally exist in higher predominance among the female species. And that, to me, is a tremendous uh, breath of fresh air. Like, maybe there is hope for the human race if we can fall back on this sort of hard uh, ground of research because this is hard research you know there's soft research and there's hard research um, you know something like um, literature uh, depending what you mean by literature but you know some forms of literature are kind of a soft science whether whether a poem is written well or poorly uh, is going to depend a little bit on what you mean by well and poorly and somewhat somewhat of a subjective uh, decision. Although there is an aspect, even in literature, where you need to conform to certain guidelines. Um, although some of that is going by the wayside. Uh, but uh, you know, when it comes to clinical psychology, you know, Jordan Peterson is is a real clinical psychologist who publishes in journals, who reads journals, who you know is an expert in the field. And when he says that there's male and female traits, he's not just shooting. He's not just saying that. Um, he's going to back that up. And if somebody challenges him, hey, there is no such thing as male traits, he's going to say, what's your research? Tell me the peer-reviewed, um, you know, gender studies case where, you know, there was a control group and there were other groups and they and there was um, criteria used to d discover truth in this situation. So anyways, I appreciate... Uh, the influence of clinical psychology um, or the injection of clinical psychology into this debate because to me, um, I mean, I had a long debate with kind of back and forth over several months with somebody that was very much uh, on the other side of this debate and I just felt like we're doomed. <laughs> like gender is, is going to cease to exist um, you're going to have a child and people will say, oh, what is it? And they'll be like, I don't know. It's a human being. Uh, we'll find out in, uh, in 10 years what, what this child decides to be, male or female. Um, and of course, some people already do that. 
But um, this clinical psychology gives me hope that uh, we as a society can be a little bit more reasonable than that. Now, in saying that, I, I want to say also my first word of caution, and I have, I think, two words of caution here. Um, Christians can tend to get really excited about somebody like this and feel like this is our savior, um, so to speak. This is this is the guy that's on our side that is speaking truth uh, that's going to help us win the debate. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Jordan Peterson. I think that he's going to speak good things into my life and uh, also help with uh, bringing some sanity to some of these debates. Um, but... Let's not get too excited here. This is a non-Christian person. I highly doubt, although I haven't looked in depth at his beliefs, but I very highly doubt um, that he um, would be against, you know, the, the a homosexual person living in a homosexual lifestyle, or a trans person calling themselves a trans person. Um, even in saying what all, everything I just said about only two genders. I wouldn't be surprised if he says, in addition to the two genders, there are a few others, although he might not go quite as crazy as um, as to say there's like 30 of them. Um, you know, let's not get too excited here. Um, we need to understand where he's coming from, and where he's coming from is not a biblical background. Uh, where he's coming from is being a secular clinical psychologist, um, but at least it's more reasonable uh, than where a lot of you know the radical feminism and the radical uh, gay agenda uh, is coming from. And I think the main thing he's contributing is he's resisting what we often just call the gay agenda, but he has a more precise psychological, anthropological description of it. And he draws an analogy to Mao, um, the dictator of China, and how um, this sort of thinking, uh, if it really gets out of hand, um, can lead to the sort of dictatorship, leftist dictatorship that Mao's China was. Um, and, you know, the interviewer on the BBC said, well, that's ridiculous. This, is, this isn't going to lead to a place where it kills millions of people. Um, but, you know, this might seem strange, but the main problem with Mao's China was not that it led to the death of millions of people, but that it was a dictatorship where free thought was not allowed. I mean, the problem with the dictatorship was not just that it killed people. The problem was that it was a dictatorship and not just a dictatorship of, um, you know, politics and society, but a dictatorship of thoughts where you weren't allowed to say certain things. You weren't even allowed to think certain things. You certainly weren't allowed to publish certain things. Um, and we're, I wouldn't say that we're going somewhere. We're already at the place where you cannot say certain things without uh, huge consequences. And very quickly, it's becoming law in Canada that uh, you cannot say, for example, that there's only two genders. You cannot say um, that the homosexual lifestyle or LGBTQ lifestyle uh, is an unhealthy lifestyle. You cannot say certain things or else... Uh, there will be huge consequences. And it's just like, no matter what it is, um, it's, it's hugely problematic when freedom of speech is, um, is dispensed with. Freedom of speech um, is the cornerstone of Western democratic society. I'm not speaking as a Christian at this point. I'm just speaking as a member of our society and looking and knowing a little bit about history. Uh, some of these things go all the way back 500 years before Christianity came on the scene to Athens uh, where the, um, democracy was developed. And, you know, it took a long time for democracy to really, for us to work out the kinks and for us to really figure out what democracy is to make it work. And freedom of speech took even longer. And... When we have freedom of speech, when we have democracy, society can work. Uh, and, and we can have, we are in the best society that has ever lived because of that. And we're in the process of losing it, not because of Christianity, not because of religion, but because of leftists and because of um, this extreme thought policing. Uh, and I think Jordan Peterson is absolutely right in saying this is a real danger. If, if this keeps going... 
uh, we could have a society where we literally lose the ability to think. Uh, and we seed that, um, C-E-D-E, we seed that, that ability to the government. Now, in addition to these two online uh, um, uh, YouTube uh, debates or, or interviews, I also watched the uh, debate between William Lane Craig, um, Goldstein, and um, Jordan Peterson. And um, the person I talked with last night also watched it, and, and they thought it was an awesome debate. Um, I thought, after, like from listening to a lot of debates uh, between Craig and others, um, I thought this debate was so-so. And Jordan Peterson, I thought, was not in on his best. Um, I mean, not that I know. Like, I only have these three uh, interviews. I thought he did better in the interviews than in the debate. Um, he was able to really connect with the audience. He really... Um, he spoke to the crowd. He connected, I think, especially to the less sophisticated uh, audience, uh, kind of the young men that might be in their first, second year of college, maybe one psychology or one philosophy course, maybe two, that's it. Um, but knowing a little bit more about psychology, about philosophy, sorry, psychology and philosophy sound very similar, very different fields. Um, Jordan Peterson is clearly an expert in psychology. Um, but he's not an expert in philosophy. Uh, at one point, he, he heard Goldstein say transcendental, and he heard transcendent. Uh, transcendental means there's certain beliefs that are just innate, that uh, we, just, we just know it's true that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Nobody told us this, or even if they did tell us, we, we apprehend it because we, we just, there's this certain knowledge that we just believe it's true. Uh, so trans, transcendental is the idea that certain knowledge is in some way inside of us, impressed on us, that nobody needs to tell us that it just is there. Uh, transcendent means that there is something above and beyond. Um, so this is like there's God above and beyond our experience or there's you know, um, a platonic world of the forms or something like that above and beyond our experience. So these are two very different, although related, concepts. Uh, and he got confused and William Lane Craig had to kind of take him aside <laughs> during the debate and explain the difference between the two. And Goldstein was like, yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Uh, and so it was a little bit like um, not his best moment in the debate to be confused about the definitions like that. Um, and I also felt like in this uh, William Lane Craig on his podcast with, uh, I forget the co-host's name, they have a weekly podcast. It's just half an hour. That's kind of a little bit um, conversational and far easier to follow than some of his other other uh, materials. Um, and William Lane Craig discussed the fact. He says he found Jordan Peterson kind of rambly and hard to understand, and really seemed to have things a little bit backwards. And Jordan Peterson started off by saying that we we asked the wrong questions, and he tried to to flip the conversation on its head to say. It's not about how um, it's not adequate to ask why is there meaning to life, but knowing that there is meaning to life, is there good meaning to life? And he tried to make this work by talking about a child that was in pain and saying, you know, what do you say to a child that's in pain? Well, you, you tell him that you're with him, that you care for him, that you are going to walk through this with him. You don't tell him that in a million years the universe is going to is going to snuff out of existence and so the pain you're feeling today doesn't have any any difference uh who cares you know what happens to you because everything will end um and he was trying to do something clever i think um but he was asking a question that nobody asks i mean everybody asks you know you, you're having that low point in your life where you know you're not getting a lot of joy or satisfaction from your career from your family from from whatever everything seems to have have um fallen into the water as they say in french um and, and you're just having that low point and you say what is the purpose of my life what is the meaning you know and many adolescents as they kind of transition into adulthood have that moment where it's like is there any point or should i and then the often the next question is or should i just commit suicide is there any point to actually living my life? Um, and he didn't answer that question. He answered. He was trying to answer the question, if somebody is suffering, 
um, should they believe uh, what was he what was he trying to say if somebody is suffering would you tell them that their suffering is meaningless because the world the universe is going to end nobody says that nobody goes to a suffering person and says your suffering suffering is meaningless because the world is going to end no nobody says that um, and so I just felt like he was trying to do something that didn't quite work maybe I didn't understand him correctly um, and he left the fundamental question unanswered uh, at least in that word uh, picture of the ch- suffering child it didn't address the fundamental question of an adolescent or a depressed person looking at the world and saying what is the point what is the point point?" and he did try and address that later he said you know the point of your existence is to make a positive difference in the world um, to speak and to set the world right and uh, some of the sort of things that he said elsewhere you know that you have a you have a message to bring so get out there and speak it and as you speak you change the world and um, and that's where you're going to find your significance of course that's not terribly comforting to somebody that's not very articulate or that doesn't especially have anything to say or that doesn't especially feel like getting on social media and, and making a difference. Uh, and maybe he would have something different to say to somebody like that. Um, you know, I enjoy speaking my mind, but not everybody does. His more um, powerful analogy was, uh, he said, just imagine a beautiful symphony. He made us think about the symphony uh, playing Beethoven's fifth movement, I think, at when the Berlin Wall fell down. And, you know, the crowd just being there and excited and saying, this is awesome. Um, and, uh, and can you imagine while you're listening to that amazing symphony at this tremendous, momentous time in history, somebody leaning over to you and saying, you know that the symphony is going to end, don't you? So therefore, it doesn't have any meaning right now. And so his point, and he came back to this numerous times, is just because the world and the universe is going to end, that doesn't mean it doesn't have significance right now for us. And William Lane Craig tried to make clear, and he made it more clear in the podcast afterwards where he was discussing it, that what this is trying to do, because he's got purpose, meaning, and significance, are three different concepts that William Lane Craig said you can't have without God. Um, You can't have any ultimate purpose you can't have any oh value purpose value and significance um and uh sure like the fact that um the fact that we appreciate this this is this is important for us this is valuable to us right now that's significant um or so i'm getting confused now with i'm not talking about significance but I might appreciate that and I say I ha- that has value to me. But Craig's argument is, look, that's just a subjective thing. That's just me subjectively saying this has meaning, this has value. Um, it's not doesn't have meaning or value in um, any sort of a larger sense. So I might like chocolate ice cream more than vanilla ice cream, but that's just my personal preference. Uh, that just has to do with, you know, maybe my upbringing or maybe my genes. Um, it doesn't mean that chocolate ice cream is actually better than vanilla ice cream. Uh, and I might choose to appreciate my life and say my life is meaningful, but that doesn't actually mean that my life is meaningful. It just means that I like my life. Likewise, I might say I feel like human flourishing and humans um, you know, having freedom and liberty is a good thing. But on Jordan Peterson's view and on the the naturalistic view, that doesn't mean that that actually is good. That's just like a personal preference like chocolate and vanilla that are morally neutral. Uh, There's no way of saying that human flourishing is actually a good thing uh, rather than uh, bacterial flourishing or um, rat flourishing or, um, you know, uh, aliens coming here and taking over our planet and them flourishing. There's nothing to say morally that human flourishing is better than anything else flourishing or flourishing at all it's just a personal preference and this is you know something that didn't really become apparent to jordan peterson it's not something that's apparent to a lot of naturalists because they say well it it matters to me um it's significant to me and i listened to a few debates um with william len craig recently on this same question is can you have meaning to life without god 
Um, and the debates always kind of come, they start with, we know that there is meaning, okay? Everybody wakes up in the morning and they feel that their life has meaning and significance. And the point of the debate is to ask the question, why? How do we, why do we have purpose and significance? Kind of like, what's the foundation? And is this, is there any purpose to this? Is there actually, is this going anywhere? Kind of like the attic. And um, the atheist always, you know, says lots of blah, 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 and then comes back to saying, my life has meaning and significance because I believe that it does. And so what about the attic and the foundation? And the, and the Christian, William Lane Craig, says, look, my life has purpose and significance because I'm made in the image of God, because God loves me, because God created me, because God is rational, because he has a plan for my life. And my life has purpose, value, and significance because I will live eternally with him uh, because the choices I make now will change eternity um, because, um, you know, the, the existence that I lead now um, is, is happening in a universe that makes sense because it's ruled by um, a benevolent, a good God uh, that cares for us. And so there is an attic and there's a foundation. And in between, you know, there's a reason for the significance that we have. Um, and a lot of atheists, I think, just kind of come back to, yes, but in the middle, I do have purpose and significance in my life. Um, and I've been trying to think of a way, because I think that this is really where that debate, more than the philosophical stuff, I think this is where the debate needs to happen, is helping people understand why it's significant to have an attic and a basement uh, instead of just, right now I wake up and I feel like I have purpose and significance and that my moral, and that there's reasons for my moral decisions. Um, I just bought a house in September. It's the fourth fourth house that I've bought. Uh, I started off in a really small little shack that should have been condemned. Uh, and we renovated it and, um, you know, sold it and bought another one and, and uh, another one, another one. And... Uh, as I was buying this last house, I was crawling through the attic with um, the house inspector. Of course, I didn't even have a house inspector on the first one. Uh, fourth house, you know, I, I really wanted to make sure I knew what I was getting into before I put my money down. And I told the house inspector, you know, the first house I bought for character. And uh, this house I'm buying for the basement in the attic. Because that first house, you walked in and it was great. You know, there was nice drywall everywhere, flooring. Uh, and you thought, well, you know, just put up some paint and, and hang some cupboards on the wall and we're set. Well, the, the roof was terrible. Uh, it wasn't just that it needed shingles, it was rotten. Uh, it, it, was, it had serious issues. And the foundation was bad too. Every time it rained, the water just poured in through along the bedrock and into the foundation. And, you know, we painted and we fixed up and we were newlyweds and we were excited. Um, and then it rained and the, the water poured in through the attic and through the, the roof and went all over our walls and all through the floor and our wonderful work was, was ruined and we had to redo it. Um, and what a lot of atheists and naturalists don't see is that, um, sure, today when you're publishing books, when life is going well, when the kids are healthy, you feel like you have purpose, significance and value to your life. But what happens in the storms? Um, what happens when everything falls off the rails and your life, you know, you're not in a good place in your life? Are you going to have purpose, value, and significance then? What's going to keep you from, from wanting to commit suicide and, and to want to march on in life? And what's going to keep, I mean, often, like, what's going to keep the weaker people in society that, that don't have the ability to say, well, I am making a difference in the world or there's some way that that I'm contributing to, you know, the global education or something like that. What's going to keep just the average Joe who's working at McDonald's and coming home to his, his wife and kids, what's going to keep the ordinary Joe going um, if not some sort of a transcendent um, purpose like Christianity can offer? And what's going to keep society from going off the rails again as it has with, you know, Nazi Germany and with communism over and over with communism? And with various forms of socialism, what's going to keep us from either anarchy or else what's worse is this sort of naturalistic dictatorships that we've seen over and over in the 20th century. 
Um, because over and over what they do is say basically human beings don't have a lot of value. What's far more valuable is our politics and, and the government and uh, keeping our society running. And when people start becoming dispensable, then all of a sudden all sorts of atrocities can happen. Um, Stalin was famous for saying that, uh, infamous for saying that if you kill one man, it's a murder. But if you kill a million, it's a statistic. And, um, you know, this something that we don't talk about nearly enough is the terrible legacy of communism in the 20th century and all the millions that it has killed. Um, and so you can, you know, the atheist can say, well, I believe that humans have valued significance. That's fine. But when the next dictator comes on the scene, what, what are you going to offer as actual evidence and proof? Um, some sort of, of logical argument for the value of human life against the tyranny of a government that says human life is dispensable. Um, what really matters is uh, the Communist Party or the Socialist Party or the Leftist Party or the Conservative Party, you know, in the case of, of Nazism. Um, how are you going to ground the value of the human soul if not in a religious framework? And so these are our ways. This is what, you know, William Lane Craig in these sorts of debates is trying to push towards. You don't have an adequate foundation. And when you don't have an adequate foundation, when the storms come, whether it's in a radical political agenda or whether it's in the day-to-day, um, you know, the, the difficult seasons of life, um, there isn't an adequate way to ground um, these things that we find significant. And it's not relevant to just say, well, I believe or I, I feel instinctually that my life has value and that human beings um, are important. Of course you do. Everybody has that instinctual belief. But the question is, how do you ground it? Um, how, do you, how do you root that in some sort of um, a philosophical framework? And that's something that I don't think... Uh, Jordan Peterson did very adequately in that debate. And he it seemed to me that um, something I've become very familiar with, uh, you know, he said often and referred often to the fact that he's on a journey and it's taken me 25 years to discover this and I'm still in the process of thinking about that. Um, and if you go back far enough in my, in my blog online at nolongerbechildren.wordpress.com, uh, You'll find a blog called um, a blog post called uh, "The Decision to Remain Undecided," and you know, for a while, I was on a on a quest, on a journey, asking some really pre- probing questions. And at a point, I realized that this can really be a cop out. That some people can say that they're on a journey, but really, they just don't like the answers that they're finding. Or else, you know, you can you can put yourself in the posture of being on a journey. And it kind of takes you off the hook from having to um, to legitimize your beliefs. Well, I, you know, this is what I think now, but I'm still on a journey. I'm still in process. I'm still trying to discover things. Um, I think the posture of journey is very attractive, especially to um, Generation X and Millennials, because it seems vulnerable. It seems humble. It seems uh, like you have the posture of a learner. Um, and in some, I mean, when it is honest, I think the posture of being on a journey is, is really helpful. And that's why I introduce every podcast sincerely with the words, in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. Not that I have attained it, but I'm still working towards a mature and stable Christian worldview. Uh, and I think Jordan Peterson in some ways will help me um, understand my faith better and be able to have a more comprehensive and complete um, way of doing faith in my day and age. But I guess I, I feel as though sometimes this posture of being on a journey can be overdone. Um, and we need to have reasons for our belief and be able to uh, back those up. And uh, on some of these deeper philosophical issues, I felt like Jordan Peterson fell a little bit short, at least in this debate. Now, he he shared at one time this dream that he had about how all the kings of the earth rose from their graves and were fighting each other and then um, the question was how 
how will we bring peace to all these kings? And then um, the revelation came that it was Jesus that would bring peace. Um, and William Lane Craig in the podcast afterwards said he was really excited when he heard this. And he, he said, quote, I felt like I didn't need to say anything. I mean, he was preaching the gospel. And as I listened to that, I thought, William Lane Craig, uh, you are a brilliant um, philosopher, but you don't know a lot about psychology. Uh, because Jordan Peterson started off his his dream, he kind of started talking about it, and then he stopped himself and he said, you need to understand I'm speaking psychologically, not theologically. And um, I know a little bit about psychology, not tons, but uh, in high school I had one teacher that was uh, very Freudian, uh, and she spent a lot of time in class talking about Freudian psychology and about the id and superego and ego um, and I had another teacher that was very influenced by uh, Jung. Um, I forget his first or last name, but Jung and Jungian psychology. And the idea of Jungian psychology is that there are certain symbols impressed on each one of our souls or our minds somehow. And as a psychologist is trying to understand what is really going on inside of you, they can sometimes ask, what what sort of dreams have you been having lately? Because... Sometimes the, the issues going on deep down inside are not evident. You might be having anxiety, but why are you having anxiety? And so, um, and so a, a psychologist, a Jungian psychologist would ask a patient, what sort of dreams have you been having? Write down the dreams and then look for symbols because certain symbols, according to Jung, um, there's certain symbols that apply across all or almost all people in our society. Uh, things like the like the wolf, things like um, I forget most of them. I studied all this back in high school, but one that has stuck with me because I've actually noticed it to be true is teeth. That when you have a dream, teeth are a sim- are a symbol of strength and stability. And when you have a dream, as many of us have at one point or another, that your teeth are either falling out or are crumbling. And sometimes this is a very terrifying dream that you know your teeth are falling out and crumbling and look in the mirror and your teeth are all dust you know Um, what this dream means is that you're feeling insecure uh, and you're feeling like your foundations are being eroded Uh, and this is a very powerful union symbol that I have actually at different times that I've been in transition sometimes I have this dream where my my teeth are falling out and I wake up and I think wow that's so like that worked (laughs) I know what's going on my my inner me is freaked out about the fact that I'm moving um and Jesus, and, and Jordan Peterson explained this, that Jesus is a symbol in the union sense, that he exemplifies perfect goodness, that he exemplifies doing the right thing. Um, and so this is very, very, very different from saying that Jesus is Lord. He's saying Jesus is a symbol. Uh, so you can be a straight-up atheist and be a union psychologist and be excited about somebody seeing Jesus in a dream because if they see Jesus in a dream and they say, and I walked towards Jesus and he embraced me, then the psychologist would be saying, great, that's awesome. Because what that means is that you're turning towards goodness and you're embracing goodness, all right? So I hope you understand what I mean by that. Um, for a union psychologist, seeing Jesus in a dream, it, it, it's as though, I mean, just erase Jesus. You know, you see Jesus, this is the, imagine you're having a dream, right? Union psychologist looks at that and they take an eraser and they erase Jesus' face and they sharpie in absolute goodness. The concept of absolute goodness. That's who Jesus is for a Jungian psychologist in a dream. Um, and so I think William Lane Craig um, showed... I mean, he's not perfect, right? Um, and this was one place where uh, his limitations simply not being as aware about... I actually knew something that William Lane Craig did. Wow, it's amazing. Um that he should have been more attentive to the fact that that Jordan Peterson stopped himself and said, I'm not speaking theologically, I'm speaking psychologically here. Uh, And when you see Jesus in a dream, psychologically speaking, from a union perspective, that doesn't actually mean that you're going to become a Christian or worship Jesus as God uh, in the waking hours of your life. And uh, the friend that I talked with uh, last night who was more into Jordan Peterson or was more aware of it said that a lot of Christians are getting very excited about Jordan Peterson. Apparently, he taught on the Old Testament. 
Um, of course, in the Old Testament that a lot of people are taking. He mentioned this during the debate as well, that he's very interested in the story of the, old, of the Bible and uh, you know, understanding how these ideas came together. He said at one point that um, he was trying to understand what the big story is, the meta-narrative of the Bible, um, and that the, the writers themselves didn't know what the story was. And he said, because story is how we pass on information when we ourselves don't know the truth of the situation. Um, so basically what he was saying is these people were just stumbling along, not really knowing what the point of life is. These are human people that don't have divine intervention. God is not involved in this situation, uh, at least not you know the traditional understanding of, of God as, as somebody who speaks through prophets and reveals himself. Um, but this is just human people trying to figure out life and writing down stories. And then these stories can help us as we try and figure out our lives. So this is what I talk about in other podcasts. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to preach on it under the, the heading of liberalism. I know people freak out when I say liberalism. Um, a lot of academic Christians really object to me using the word liberalism. Uh, the moment that they come up with a better term than liberalism, I will use it. But at this point, that's what I use. Uh, to refer to people that that either study Christianity from the outside looking in, as Jordan Peterson seems to be doing, not believing that the miracles happened, not believing that most of the historical facts actually happened, recounted actually happened, uh, but just looking at it as a collection of stories and as an interesting uh, anthropological thing you know religion is is part of humanity humanity is interesting therefore religion is interesting for understanding humanity that's one definition of liberalism or else the other definition is christians themselves who have uh, ceased to believe that miracles happen cease to believe that god actually intervenes in the world um, and therefore cease to believe that the bible is 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 written in some way through god's revelation um, but that they would also believe that these are just, you know, hu- human beings stumbling along, trying their best to live their lives. Um, and that basically religion becomes about, you know, having some sort of a, a, a spiritual feeling and then trying to live a good life in, in harmony with our fellow man and in harmony with the world around us. Um, so that, I mean, this is very, very different, obviously from, from actual Christianity, what I would call conservative Christianity, um, you know, because conservative Christianity believes that there actually is a God who is a conscious being, who uh, who speaks, uh, who is is conscious and who is involved in, and cares about our lives, and he has a very um, very precise message that he wants to communicate to us, and he has spoken that message propositionally through prophets. What I mean by propositionally is he intended for concepts to be communicated through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, and he communicated that in various forms to prophets so that we would understand certain concepts. Um, And then finally, when the time was right, he became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he himself said certain things again for us to understand, to change the way that we think, to give certain propositions to us, Um, and to create the Christian religion, which was uh, to be the way that people would be reconciled to God, Um, because there is a big separation between humanity and God due to uh, the sinful choices of humanity. And so, all that to say, um, I think Christians, we can be excited about Jordan Peterson as somebody that is, in some ways, an ally, in some ways, I think, will do good things for our society, um, especially in combating uh, the liberal agenda, um, but I think we need to be we need to be careful. Uh, this is not uh, this is not a conservative Christian that believes that Jesus is God. Certainly not. Um, and in some ways, liberalism has proven to be far more dangerous to Christianity than any form of of external pressure. I mean, um, this is the sort of thing where you could listen to that that Old Testament course as somebody that doesn't have a large large foundation, a broad foundation in um, in biblical studies, maybe you were just raised in the church and always read it, but hadn't actually studied it at a higher level. And you can just completely lose your faith 
in the course of that through through the process of that course it, it happens all the time it happens all the time that people go to um you know study study christianity in the religious departments of a university and completely lose their faith um because it's it's tremendously confusing to study under under somebody that is is approaching it from a liberal perspective so anyways those are some negatives those are some positives but all in all, I'm very interested in Jordan Peterson, and uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. You can uh, Facebook message me uh, if you have some interesting things to say or anecdotes or things I ought to read. Uh, I am going to read this 12, 12 Steps for Life or 12 Lessons for Life or whatever, 12 Rules for Life, whatever his main book is. And um, I really like the YouTube clips that I've seen so far. So when I get bored, maybe I'll listen to a few more of those and... Uh, Maybe in a few months I'll have an update to say, you know, I don't know, say something else about Jordan Peterson. But so far I'm I'm liking him and thinking I'll pursue him more. So uh, with that being said, have a good day and uh, I hope that my podcast is helpful to you. Bye.